Good morning, church. It's good to be here with you, surrounding God's Word together today. I'd like to begin this morning by asking if you would all just take a step back with me. Over the past six to eight weeks in our country, there has been a lot of discussion and a lot of talk. There's been arguments surrounding the ideas of faith and fear and the position of the church in all of this as we face COVID-19 together. There are some in our community and there are some in our world who believe that church leaders have made decisions that have been based on fear. And I want to tell you today, friends, as you sit at home, Calvary Monument Bible Church, I don't believe that anything could be further from the truth. Actually, I believe it's quite the opposite. If you open up the Bible in the book of Hebrews, you find this rugged list of Bible characters who really made difficult decisions in their lives. They dared to do the difficult things. They made major pivots. They redirected, moving from what was comfortable and normal into new, uncomfortable situations. Abram offered up his son. Moses was hidden by his parents, surviving in social isolation and quarantine, tucked away securely from the murderous edict of Pharaoh. Some stopped the mouths of lions. Others escaped the edge of the sword. There were men and women who wandered in the desert. David himself hid in the caves of the earth. All of these realities uncomfortable. All of them new. But all of these characters were guided by faith. And as we gather in our homes today, can we step aside from the narratives that have been so pressed into our minds through our national and and even local news sources. There are so many figures out there, so so much data. Uh, There's storylines, there's conspiracy theories that are abounding from every direction, to be honest. And fear says, bury your head in the sand. Pretend like nothing has happened. And continue on with business as usual. You see, friends, the easy thing for us to do in this situation would have been to just continue on as if nothing was really happening. But faith says, lift up your eyes. Ask God for wisdom. See and know that He is good. See and know that the world is changing around us and make decisions that are based and grounded in love. Fear says, let's hold on to our rights. Don't let go. Look, the government's taking our rights away. My rights. My control. Fear focuses on all that we stand to lose. While faith fixes its eyes on everything we stand to gain. And church, as we gather today, I would say that we should gather remembering that this is but a temporary Affliction during our short time here on this earth. Faith says, I have no rights to claim but Jesus. Jesus had every right stripped from him. He was beaten, broken, hung on the cross, and yet because of God's work through him, 
he was still effective and used of God to accomplish God's purposes. The day may come, church. It has not yet in America. To be honest, let's as we sit around our, our homes today and participate in service together, let's be honest, none of our rights have been stripped away. And even if someday they are, God can still use us. God can still make us effective. It's the example of Jesus. It's interesting to me that Paul, at the end of his great exposition on love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, concluded this, and you'll remember this verse at the very end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, at the very end of his uh, message on love, he says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. And I would ask today, church, as we step away from these narratives and and these arguments over faith and fear and maybe the things that you've been wrestling about in your own mind regarding these things, I would ask that we'd step away and we'd set them behind what is most important. And that's indeed what our text is going to deal with today. What of love? What of joy? We hear a lot of talk about faith and fear, but very little about love and joy. For years, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18 hung above the entrance in our hallway, and its words are still so relevant and true for us today. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. Always. We sit in our homes today and some of us are in fellowship with others and some of us are in our homes today and it's just us and Jesus Maybe you're in an office, maybe you're in a car listening today. I'm not sure what your circumstance or situation or setting is as you participate with us, but I would ask you this question today. Is your joy full? Is your joy full? Our world will go however it may go. God raises up leaders, he sets leaders aside, he gives and he takes away. And what we're commanded to do, church, is we are commanded to love so that our joy may be full. Is your joy full? We embrace God's word today. We learn from its truth. We continue in John chapter 15. And today our text answers such a relevant and persistent question for us as we live in light of the realities that COVID-19 has brought. The question is this, how can our lives be full of joy? How can our lives be full of joy? I would invite you this morning to please take your Bibles Turn to the book of John. We're in John chapter 15. And today we're going to be looking at verses 9 to 17. Last week, Jesus set up a trellis of spiritual growth for us. He identified himself as the true vine. He identified God as the vine dresser. We are the branches. 
The Spirit is producing fruit through us as we abide in the vine. And this week, Jesus is going to continue to fill that trellis out, pressing us towards a greater understanding of the primary fruit of the believer's life. They will know we are Christians by our love. And further exploring the defining characteristics and the defining characteristic that proves whether or not we are loving well. And that characteristic, friends, is joy. As we approach God's word today, let's take a moment and pray. Father, we encounter the power of your word this morning, the living, active power of your word, and we encounter it in these uncertain days full of faith, hope, and love. And Lord, I pray that in our time together today that we might see the joy that is set before us in the eternal hope of our salvation, the hope of glory that we have set aside for us as an inheritance because of the work of Jesus. Lord, help us abide. Help us learn to lead by love and live by love guided and motivated by the love that you've shown us through your son. Change our hearts, change our minds, we pray today. Help us to live in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 15, verses 9 to 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. As we open our text today, we see these key words right in the first few verses that really permeate Jesus' farewell discourse, even starting in chapter 14 and continuing through chapter 17. Abide and keep love, joy. And at the beginning of our text, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And that leads us into this question of how did the Father love the Son? And and answering this question really allows us to understand how Jesus has loved us, his disciples, church, those of us who are abiding in him. 
John chapter 3 verse 35 says that one of the ways that the father demonstrated the love of his son was by giving all things into his hand. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. All of the purposes of God in creation, all the salvation purposes that he's had for us, wrapped in swaddling clothes, coming to earth, laid in a manger. All things given into his hands. He was sent into the world. And it is in this sending that we can observe another way that the Father demonstrated his love of the Son, and that is sending him into the world. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave the giving of his Son as a sacrifice. A sacrifice that would atone for the sins of the world. And it's interesting Remember, we're in this transitional phase in Jesus's ministry where he's moving from a lot of teaching and discourse towards more preparing his disciples for the challenges that were ahead in establishing and starting and beginning the early church. And just as the father had loved the son and gave all things into his hand and sent him into the world, so too was Jesus now placing the keys of the early church in the hands of the disciples, giving them authority and sending them in the power of the Spirit to plant and establish His people throughout the world. As the Father has loved the Son, so also has the Son loved you. Abide in my love. What does it mean to abide in someone's love? To be honest, it's, it's hard to come up with comparisons uh, for what that might mean. But the closest I think we can come to is to think about the love that we share with our closest family members. Maybe our parents, maybe our spouses. Abiding in their love really means that their joy is our joy too. What is pleasing to them, what satisfies them is pleasing and satisfying to us. And thankfully, Jesus describes what this looks like right in the text this morning. In order to abide in Jesus' love, we need to keep his commands. And and as we think about that, that could be overwhelming because if you think about Jesus' commands in light of the Old Testament, we see hundreds of commands. And we're thinking, how in the world can we do this? And we should be so thankful to remember that Jesus summed up all of the commands in one concise statement that really is undergirded by what he taught in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. You remember what he said? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus' commands are not burdensome. Not like the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day had made the Old Testament commands for the Jewish people. They were so heavy. They were so burdensome. Jesus' commands are different. Listen to what John says in his epistle. By this we know that we love the children of God 
when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We know from previous times together as we've been going through the book of John that Jesus' commands are really twofold. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And really we can sum it up in one very concise sentence. Love God, love one another. We abide in Jesus' love as we keep these commandments. Just as Jesus kept his Father's commands and abided in his love, we are to keep and uphold the commands of Jesus so that we can remain in his love. And now, here's something that I believe is really interesting. In our culture, in, in our world today, uh, we fail to correlate the idea of commandments together with emotions of love and joy. Isn't that the reality? I mean, we hear the word commandment. A lot of us aren't sitting at home thinking, love and joy behind that word of commandment. What are we thinking? We're thinking burdensome. We're thinking sacrifice. We're thinking all of these different things. When someone has a command or an order for us, it's more regularly our nature to look at it with skepticism, to judge it, to ask questions, to try to discern intent and motivations. Very rarely, if ever, does a command evoke these feelings of love and joy. I mean, we see this with birth, from, from all the way from birth with our children. You know, we give them a command in our home. It's not often received with love and joy. But let's not let ourselves off the hook too quickly here, parents. And for many of us, let's just take a, the situation of our day. Governor Wolf's stay-at-home order has been very difficult to digest. And we don't like being told what to do. We don't like being told how to do it, even more so to be told we have to wear a mask when we go out in public or we won't be served. This is all very difficult for us to hear. Our culture and our world, they like to play politics with these things. They like to make excuses for why we shouldn't have to follow this or why we shouldn't have to follow that. We find commandments and orders today burdensome. The yoke seems heavy or oppressive. Sometimes we fear that we might be giving something of our own rights up to follow these orders. We worry about what all these things might mean for the future of the church. And with all of this, what inevitably happens is that our focus is drawn off the sovereign king who has our good and his glory in mind. And the circumstances that we are in become this new oppressive king that we allow to rule over us. We forget that the sovereign king, he's established and placed every local leader according to his perfect plan and purpose. The sovereign king gives, he takes away. He gave the law to his chosen people long ago. Commandments that were to be followed with gladness and joy. Church, friends, I would ask us today that we would consider our current circumstances and remind ourselves regularly that our lives, our futures, and our purposes are not bound within the mouths or hands of government leaders or politicians. 
but that the situation we find ourselves in today is the exact situation that God knew his church would be in from the very beginning of time. God's not shocked. He's not rocked or thrown off his rocker by what's happened in our culture and our community today. He's a big God. And I am sure that there are universal reasons and purposes behind some of these trials that that we're enduring today. But I'm also certain that for each of us personally, at home, together with our families, in smaller groups, that God has intended that we endure this trial with patience and purpose for personal reasons for each of us so that we might grow as well. Yes, the commands of men often do not bring us joy. That is a reality. It's far far more entertaining to scrutinize, to pick apart, to blame, complain, make excuses, watch other people debate and argue and make excuses than to stand in gratitude with our eyes fixed on Jesus, full of love, full of joy. Friends, no person, no circumstance should rob us of the joy that follows when we abide in Jesus' love. Jesus says, abide in my love by keeping my commands so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. So living in the circumstances we are living in today, what does this kind of love look like? What kind of love produces fullness of joy? Look down at verse 12 of chapter 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. What is the kind of love that produces fullness of joy. Now, now I'm not sure about you as, as we sit in, in this situation, but I will tell you that my pool of one another's has shrunken dramatically in light of COVID-19. And we should remember that Jesus defines our one another's as whoever he places in our pathways. This was uncovered in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Our neighbors are those whom God guides and directs into our lives each day. We've said this before and we'll say it again and again and again. There are no accidental encounters. Every person has a purpose every day. Our sovereign God directs and determines every daily encounter We have. And in this season, isn't it true that God has determined to shrink our pool of one another's? And to be honest, I, for one, am thankful. As we settle into this new way of life, I I can't help from time to time to stop and to look back and to think outside of this quarantine how busy our lives had become. And perhaps purposefully, Uh, preaching to myself, maybe one of the reasons I stay busy is so I can feel useful, feel like I have a purpose. But our true purpose is defined in this passage. Jesus says to his disciples, abide in my love by keeping my commandments. My commandments is that you love one another as I have loved you. Friends, we are never without purpose. 
And I, and I want to go out on a limb here and suggest something this morning, and maybe some of you will push back and debate and, and maybe make an argument against it, and that's okay. This is Pastor Chris speaking. For the last number of years, we've watched a disturbing trend in this world. Specifically, we've seen it in our country. The home and the family in America is splintering. And I can't help but recognize that often the reasons behind families falling apart and splintering have much to do with busyness, overcommitment, lack of constructive time together. Often we see parents, and again, I'm preaching to myself, church, know this, running their children from one activity to the next. I'm just as guilty as anyone else. And what so often happens at the end of raising our children and keeping up with these feverish schedules and running at the speed of light, our children move out, move on, they grow up in their lives, and we look across the room at our spouse and ask the question, who are you? And sadly, the church sometimes helps to perpetuate this reality. And we come to the building here, and what's the first thing we do? We divide everybody up. Based on age, we separate. Everyone goes to their own ministry, separated by age, sometimes even by gender. And, and this might be okay if there was ample time together in our homes. But if we're honest with ourselves, most of us are scrambling hurriedly to the next church event or the next event we have on our calendar, moving from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. It never ends. Recitals, concerts, sporting events, social gatherings, over and over and over. And I've found myself in this season wondering if I'm simply too busy to keep the commands of God well. And is the evidence of our culture's inability to keep the commands of God well found in the slow deconstruction of the home and the family? We've failed, church, to love the closest one another's in our lives well. And, and it's not just the families, friends. Churches are splintering too. Folks, we are so quick today to just up and leave when something doesn't go our way. And the church is really a microcosm of the home. And as the home and the family has splintered, churches have splintered and fractured. We want things our way. We like our preferences and our expectations to be met. We get upset when people don't do things the way that we want them to be done. And if we aren't happy, we just move on. The preaching might not be good enough. I'm not being fed. The music's too loud. It's too fast. I don't know the songs. I can't stand the drums. Can you believe they did this or did that or made this decision? A lot of personal pronouns in those statements not a mention of Jesus. I suspect, friends, I'm including myself here, that I'm not loving the one another's in my life very well. And perhaps one of the reasons that we stand in the situation and circumstances that we're in today is so that we can learn to love the one and others that God has placed closest to us better, that we could grow in our love for them. Have we considered how our lives are going to look differently 
coming out of the other side of COVID-19? Will we have learned the lessons that God intends for us to learn in light of this? There's going to be lots of changes coming across the landscape of our country. In every facet of industry, business, home, school, church. It's interesting, how will we respond? Jesus defines what love one another looks like. Take a look at verse 13. He gives us a clear picture of it. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Love is giving our lives away. Laying them down for one another. We can't do this well with one another if we're not doing it well in our own homes with our closest family members first. This is the lesson that Jesus is teaching me in the midst of this crisis. I need to love my family better. So often in my own personal life, everyone else gets my life laid down and my family gets the leftovers. It's too often. I fear it may have come to be a defined pattern in my life and it's my own fault. I blame no one but myself. I've not loved my family well. I've not laid down my life for them well enough to say no to opportunities, even good opportunities that might pull me away from time with them. I've not loved my family well enough by engaging in distractions that take my time and energy away instead of spending time with them. I've often failed as a husband and a father. And Jesus is using this time to restore me and teach me what this kind of love looks like as applied to my own family. And I will stand here today and tell you that it is a love that is not burdensome, but it is a love that produces joy. Perhaps we've not been faithful with the amplitude of one another's that Jesus has given us. So he's providentially removed some of them to teach us again how to be faithful with a few. And we're so quick to chase after so many other pursuits and some of them are worthy. I don't want to put them down. There are great things that our children and our families are involved in. But I was reminded this week and it hit me kind of square between the head and the heart when I read this quote by Pastor Vadi Bakum. He said this, quote, There are many worthwhile pursuits in this world, but few of them rise to the level of training our children to follow the Lord and keep his commandments, end quote. And I might add grandchildren. I might add any children, any child, any neighbor that the Lord has placed in your pathway. To give up all those other pursuits and to focus on the love of God and the love of those who he's placed closest to us. Today in quarantine and the day of stay-at-home orders, those neighbors, those friends, the ones who are closest to us right now in our homes, these are our one another's. And if we learn to lay down our lives for our family members with fullness of joy, as a delight, not a duty or an obligation, but motivated by love, 
Then when the gathering orders begin to be lifted, perhaps we will gather with a greater understanding of how we might truly love one another. Jesus loved his disciples so much, he called them friends. Look down at verse 14. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. Church, Jesus has called us. He saved us. He's commissioned us. He's defined and demonstrated the type of love that we're to show one another. He's given us the Spirit of God with us to help us do it. All of these things He's made known to us so that we can walk in the light and glorify the Father, the vine dresser, laying down our lives for one another. And if, if we think this is too hard, that we cannot do it by our own strength and our own effort, Friends, we're absolutely right. And I've said it before and I say it again, I fail the hardest when I try to do things on my own effort and my own power. We can't do it apart from Jesus. We need His help. This is why His next words are so encouraging. We must not forget that His intention is to be with us and is to help us because we've been chosen with a purpose. Look down at verses 16 and 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father's name, he may give it to you. These things I command to you that you would love one another. If you've never wrestled with God's Sovereign Purposes and Choosing an Election. I have some supplemental reading in the notes for you this week. I would encourage you to read Romans chapter 9 and Ephesians chapter 1. They're wonderful chapters that deal directly with the truth in verse 16 of this passage. And they're chapters we don't have time to fully explore today. In fact, they would probably take months for us to fully explore and unpack. But there's chapters that you can go and read on your own. We alluded to this reality in last week's message that God has chosen us. We did not choose Him. But what so often happens is that this statement gets misrepresented as if man has no purpose in his salvation. Jesus is teaching us here. He's helping us align our understanding of man's purpose and man's response in his salvation. It's not just that God chooses, but he also appoints each of us to produce the fruit that he's intended for our lives. This is a truth that Paul really brings out very nicely in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. If you look at this verse, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, Not good works that we have to go running around looking for, trying to find and create on our own strength. But look at the next line, the final line. Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our purpose in this life is to love others by laying down our lives for one another, walking by the power of the Spirit in the good works which God has prepared beforehand in this, friends, We glorify God and we grow 
in our love of God and we grow in our love of one another. Our fruit abides. The purpose here really is twofold, isn't it? It's not just that we bear fruit, but that the fruit that we bear should abide or endure. So the question is, what does abiding fruit look like? Fruit that lasts. I often get to see the result of abiding fruit, lasting fruit, at the funeral services of those who know the Lord. Many services that I have done have been done with a family who's followed the enduring legacy of love and faith of the loved one that is being laid to rest. And nearly 100% of the time, I can characterize that these services are free of despair and desperation. The abiding fruit of a life well-loved, well-lived, and well-led for God's glory is a family that gathers at these times with great hope, uncommon peace, and mourning that can turn to joy with the understanding that their loved one is rejoicing with their eternal Father in their heavenly home. When I am with families who find these places during times of loss, I see the evidence of abiding fruit you know, this, this does not mean that there's not pain. This does not mean there's no tears or sadness or grieving. It simply means that all of the emotions that are experienced in these days are grounded in hope and guided by love because of Jesus. And I often suspect that the person being laid to rest in these kinds of services is one who spent many countless hours of prayer for his family for Jesus to reveal himself to them, for them to know the fullness of his joy that's found only in his love. How satisfying for them to know as they prepare to enter their final rest here on earth that the Father has answered their prayers according to his purposes. There's abiding fruit, fruit that lasts. Walking in Jesus' ways, friends, we've said this before, thinking his thoughts, speaking his words, sharing in his suffering, having his attitudes, imitating his actions, all of those things align our desires with the Father's desires so that the things that we ask in his name will be satisfying and pleasing to him. And his answers to those prayers will be satisfying and pleasing to us, there is fullness of joy in a life that's lived, lived, led by love. And so how might our lives look in light of these realities? Well, friends, I've been challenged in this season to remember that my purpose is not found in what I am doing, but in what I've been called to and who I am as a child of God. My fullness of joy, it should not be dependent on the circumstances that I am sitting in today. My level of joy should trend in the same direction as the level of my love. And in isolation, friends, church, in isolation, God has made it abundantly clear to us who our neighbors are, our one another's, our closest friends 
our families, that we don't have to go out looking for them. He's prepared them for us beforehand that we may learn to lay down our lives for them, for one another, trusting that as we do that, the Spirit is working to produce a fullness of joy in our life. In fact, a fullness of joy should be what defines the pattern and examples of our lives as they are laid down for one another. Not duty or obligation or burdensome commands. Fullness of joy. I would ask you, church, to lean into a love of your family in this season. Let's not rush out of this season. Let's sit under it and soak up all that God has intended for us to learn. Let's lean into learning how to love our families better. And if it's hard, and some days, I'm sure it is, I know in our home, some days it's hard. We need to ask Jesus for help. And this is what he means when he says, my father will give it to you. Because our desire when we ask Jesus for help and how we love people is aligned with God's desire because he wants us to grow in a greater love for others. And so when we ask Jesus to help us love our families and help us love our neighbors better, he is going to answer that prayer. It may not look like anything we've ever imagined, but he'll answer it. Sharing together, serving together, loving living and leading for God's glory together. And together as we do this, we celebrate as we find ourselves growing in a greater love for God and a greater love for each other. Today, church, we have the opportunity to celebrate this, to reflect on the sacrifice and the love of the true vine, Jesus, to remember and proclaim his death his burial, and his resurrection. We're going to take some time today to participate together in communion. I hope you take a second to get your communion elements together at home, your favorite bread or crackers or wafers and whatever the juice of choice in your home would be today. And I would ask you this, if you're at home with family members uh, today, Serve one another. Pick somebody to serve somebody else in your family today. After we've taken time to pray and to go through the elements together, serve one another. If it's just you and Jesus today celebrating at home, my prayer is that this would be a sweet time of reflection and remembrance for you. Let's prepare our hearts to receive communion today. Father, We can be full of joy because of the love that your son demonstrated to us. And as we look to participate today in Christ's table, celebrating his sacrifice, remembering what it's accomplished for us, I pray that you would fix our eyes on the great hope, fill our hearts with the great joy we have set before us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, Calvary Monument Bible Church, the table and the elements of communion are open to all who claim to know Jesus and have a relationship with him. And so if you're participating with us in your homes today and you have a relationship with Jesus, he is your personal Lord and Savior, uh, we would invite you to participate along with us today. 
So we're going to start with the body of Christ. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and after he gave thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Take the bread. Lord, on the cross, your body was broken. Your rights were stripped away. Everything that you deserved as the Son of God, fully God, you gave up. And yet, you were still so powerful and still so effective to save us. And we're thankful for that salvation today. Amen. In the same manner that Jesus took the bread, he also took the cup and he said, this cup represents a new covenant which is poured out for you in my blood. So often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. And let's take the cup together this morning. Lord, your blood was poured out to cover our sins. It was a symbol of the perfect sacrifice that you were. One without sin, one without blemish. So that we might be declared righteous through the power and the effectual work of your blood. Thank you, Lord for that work. We love you. We thank you for this opportunity to remember and to proclaim your death, your burial, and your resurrection. And Father, we pray that as we celebrate this reality in our lives throughout the rest of this day today, that these truths would truly inform the patterns of our lives and our attitudes and our behaviors. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I leave you with a benediction today, church. As you go and celebrate with your family and friends in your home today, I pray that you would go knowing the love that you've been called to and might the Spirit work through that love to produce in you a fullness of joy so that you may love, live, and lead for God's glory. Hang in there, church. We'll see you next week.